Hello, my name's Katie Gardner, and this is Backstories and Side Quests, a podcast I am starting with my husband in the midst of the 2020 coronavirus pandemic because we're bored and we wanted to do a project together. So I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you already know me and you probably already know what this show is about, but on the off chance that you've just stumbled upon this, I'll go ahead and take care of some housekeeping real quick up front. Uh, Like I said, this is a podcast that we are starting in the midst of a pandemic where we are all social isolating. We are in a house with a bunch of people and there's no way there's not going to be background noise. I'm sorry about that. Also, we're new and so we're still figuring out this audio thing. Uh, Bear with us if you're listening to this. I promise it'll get better now. Also, Uh, This is a podcast based on the short stories that I wrote uh, that went along with the D&D campaign we were playing with our friends a while back. All of these stories take place from the perspective of the two characters that I wrote the backstory for. However, there are other characters in this universe. Their names are Serafina, who is a paladin, uh, Brenora, who is a ranger, and Varus, who is a barbarian, and you will get to meet all of them and know more information about them the closer we get to their stuff. Uh, these stories do go in chronological order, but they also jump around a bit, and uh, there are tons of stuff that happened in the gameplay that I didn't write about, but I will tell you everything up front at the beginning of each episode, so you are all cut up and you don't need to worry about it. I'm keeping all the stories at a PG-13 level, so think Thor Ragnarok or maybe an Iron Man movie. Uh, There's going to be mild swearing, the acknowledgments of the existence of sex, but nothing too graphic, and some peril. Um, But, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with a 12-year-old listening or reading any of these, so, you know, you make your own decisions. And this is just going to be something light and fun. Uh, Like I said, my husband and I needed a project and I'm thinking some other people out there might need some entertainment. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the first story. Ren was going to take the job. She had to take the job. She was being offered four times what she would have asked for in any other circumstance. It would be stupid to say no, impractical, and if Ren was anything, she was practical. Still, there was something about this that unsettled her. Wren had a hard time believing in fate, and she just trusted anyone who relied too heavily on gut instinct or hunches. Even so, as she continued to pack, she could not shake the feeling that she was walking into a storm. Maybe she should turn it down. The little slip of the girl might have refused to give her her true name, but Wren did know where she lived. After leaving the meeting at the tavern, she had followed the woman back to her house. She could break in, leave the money she had already been given on the woman's pillow with a note that simply said, no thank you. She hadn't left the city yet. She hadn't spent any of the money that had been given to her. It was not too late to change her mind. Wren shook her head and kept packing. The job was too good. There was absolutely no reason besides distrust not to take it. Some girl had been stupid and let some pretty face dance out the front door with a family heirloom and now she wanted Wren to go get it back before her parents noticed. The woman had told Wren to call her Say, and at first had said that her family necklace had been stolen. However, when Wren had pushed her, Say had admitted that the necklace hadn't been stolen in a dark alley at knife point. He came to my father 
begging to see it. He said he wanted to learn how it was made. One of my ancestors, my great, great, great whoever, was an elf master craftsman. He made the necklace, and it's been in my family for generations. Anyway, when my father refused to show it to him, the man came to me and... She let the sentence trail off and glared down at the table. Color was high in her cheeks, but Rin did not think it was from embarrassment. She knew rage when she saw it. Do I have to tell you exactly how big of a fool I was, or can I just say I showed it to him and he left a few weeks later and the necklace was gone as well? She spat the question out and held Rin's gaze with a defiant glare. How certain are you that he is the one that took the necklace? All this could be coincidence, Rin said, not looking away. No, you see, it's normally kept under lock and key. The night before he was supposed to leave, I warped for him one last time. In the morning he was... It, the necklace was supposed to be in my room, but it was gone. The store was full of awkward pauses and things being implied by silence and sideways glances. Still, the story of a woman who was just barely not a girl, being tricked by a man felt familiar, and the inability of Say to meet her eyes made Rin inclined to believe her. And still, the voice in the back of Rin's mind said, Wait, wait, it said. Think about what she's saying, how much she is paying you. Wait. Was this story too neat? Did it feel true because it was true, or because it had been well-practiced? Was she willing to pay so much because of a mixture of desperation, embarrassment, and privilege, or was it all just a distraction? Wren took a steadying breath and placed her hands flat on her pack. People lied, she thought to herself. This was a fact of life. Everyone, given the right situation, lied. And normally when people met Rin, they were well past the right situation. Even so, Rin hated being lied to. She hated being played for a fool. It bit at her the way only an old childhood wound can. Twice, twice in her life she had played the fool, and it was a role she would never, ever play again. Rin believed the pretty stories she had been told once. The stories were how she survived. She had grown up cold and hungry in a small house she shared with her mother and her mother's frequent visitors. They might have been poor, and there might not have been enough food to eat, but there was love to keep her warm, and there were stories to feast on. Every night, before Wren went to sleep, her mother would tell the story of her extraordinary family. Her grandfather, a brave and clever man who had once saved a whole village from a chimera with nothing more but his wits and a bedsheet, or her great-great-aunt, who had once crossed the whole world looking for lost treasure, or her third cousin, who had gone to live with the gnomes and learned to make fireworks. But the story Wren always wanted to hear was the story of her father. Her father and mother had fallen madly in love. He was a prince, her mother would say, and then she would take out a sapphire the size of Wren's thumb that hung on a chain from around her neck. He gave this to me before he left. He told me to wear it always so everyone would know that I was his bride. He left to go tell his parents that he had met the woman that he was going to marry. Tragically, he died before the ceremony could take place. Shipwreck, her mother would say as her eyes glistened in the firelight with unshed tears. But I still wear it so I can keep him close, and when you're old enough, I will give it to you. But Wren could not wait that long. She knew her mother loved her, but even at a young age, Wren knew that they did not live a good life. 
money seemed to drip through her mother's hands, the way the water seemed to drip through the cracks in the ceiling of their home. Their table was empty, but her mother's bedroom never seemed to be. The men that came in and out of their house sometimes stayed for a few days, sometimes a few months. These men ranged from kind to cruel and seemed more than willing to give them money, and yet still seemed unable to give her mother what she truly wanted. Wren was ten when she decided that both her mother and herself would be better if Wren did not live at home. However, it was not until Wren was twelve that she found a means of escape. He had been one of the men that had visited her mother. Though some were kind, most seemed to want to forget the girl in the corner. That was why, when this man was not only kind to Wren, but seemed to truly see her for who she was and what she could be, it seemed as if it was an answer to prayer. You're too good for this life, he would say. You might not be a beauty like your mother, but still, there is more in this world for a smart girl like you than these four leaky walls. It was as if he was speaking her own thoughts out loud. Then, one day, he had come to her with a plan. She could be his apprentice, and all it would cost her was her father's jewel and her signature on a contract of servitude. That night, Rin had stolen the jewel from around her mother's neck and left a note explaining that she loved her and her reasons for leaving. It had taken her four months to realize he never intended her to be his apprentice. Even still, it had taken her eight more months to fully understand what a contract of servitude was and how much danger she was in. Then it was four long years before she could escape. She could still see him now if she closed her eyes, fat, miserable man that he was, tied and gagged in a corner, terrified now that she was the one towering over him. This, she said, grabbing the blue jewel from around his neck, is mine, and this, she said, pulling another clear gem off his belt, is to tell me if you're looking for me, and this, she said, leaning close enough to smell her own breath bouncing back off his skin and cut a lock of his hair, is for insurance. Then she turned and threw her contract in the fire and ran out the window. She had never seen the man again. When Wren was finally old enough to wear the jewel her mother had promised her, she was also desperate enough to sell it. On her own, starving, cold, on the run, with no other place to turn, Wren took her father's jewel to a jeweler. The man had looked at it for all of two seconds before tossing it back to Wren. Glass, he spat. Get out. All at once, her mind asked a million questions that those two words had already told her the answer to. There had never been a chimera, lost treasure, or fireworks. Her father wasn't a prince, just another one of her mother's lovers who had left her and his unborn child to fend for themselves. Her mother had loved her enough to distract her from the unpleasant facts of their lives with pretty stories, but she did not love her enough to give her truth and stability. Bryn still had both the jewels, woven into a rope bracelet on her wrist. Two lessons, two reminders. She would not believe the lies, and she would not be bound. Stop it, she hissed to herself in the mirror. Stop it. The woman was lying like all people who came to Rin to buy her help. But her money was real, and it would spend. The necklace could be hers, or her father's, or an elf lord's. It made no difference to Rin. Stars and stones, Rin thought to herself. 
The necklace could open up the very gates of hell and she wouldn't care, so long as she was far enough away to spend her earnings. Thirty minutes later, Wren was done packing and going downstairs to talk to her landlady. Wren lived in an attic room in one of the rougher parts of the city. Her landlady lived in the house below with her large family. Wren knocked on the door, which was pulled back in a rush, as if the person behind it was too busy to be worried about guests. The woman was taller than Wren, though everyone was taller than Wren, with black, thick hair pulled into a tight bun at the nape of her neck and skin that was tinged with orange. Her short, curled horns and solid red eyes told the world her race. When the woman saw Wren, she let out a little disappointed sigh. "'You cut your hair,' she said. "'I liked your long hair.' I know, I did too, Wren said, reaching up a hand to self-consciously smooth down a few stray locks. You've done a horrible job, the tiefling replied. How horrible, said Wren with a worried look. Not memorably bad, she said. Just bad. Come inside and I'll fix it for you. No, no, Wren said. I don't want to bother you, Rita. I just wanted to let you know. I know why you're here, little miss, Rita interrupted, putting her hands on her hips. There's only one reason why you'd be at my door after dinner with a bad haircut and a pack over your shoulder. You're leaving again. Now come inside and let me fix your hair before you go. You can even have some leftover soup while I work. And with that, Rin was pulled inside into the kitchen where she was put in a chair and given soup. Honestly, Rita said from behind Rin's back, I don't know what you were thinking. I was thinking short hair would be harder to grab than long hair, Rin said after swallowing a mouthful of dinner. Maybe, but it was so beautiful, Wren. Wren said nothing. She let Rita fuss over her and talk, allowing the words to wash over her shoulders and soothe the tension that had been built up there. Rita had not always been this talkative. Ten years ago, when a small human girl had wandered into the tiefling neighborhood, begging for a room, any room to rent, no one had trusted her. Back then, she was just a stranger that looked like all the other strangers that had hated them. They had belonged nowhere, so they had come together to make this place for each other here. And now, here came a milk-skinned stranger, coming to take what they had rightfully earned. Despite this, Rin had convinced Rita to rent her the room, and after ten years, Rita and the rest of the neighborhood now knew what Rin had been too afraid to explain when she first came to this place, that she also belonged nowhere. "'So where are you off to this time?' Rita asked as she smoothed down the last few hairs. The Misty Forest. Wren tried to keep a calm, matter-of-fact voice. The Misty Forest, said Rita in surprise, and in Wren's mind she could see her with eyebrows raised and hands on hips. Do you know what's happening out that way? Yes, said Wren in a flat tone. The dragons? Yes. The villages and towns are? Yes, I know. It's total chaos. Yes, I'm aware, Rita. How's my hair coming? Rita exhaled. Well, it won't win any prizes for beauty, but it'll have to do, she said, giving Wren's shoulders a little pat. You could probably pass for a very pretty boy. They were both still laughing at this when Rita's eldest boy, Honor, slid into the kitchen. Twelve years old and already taller than Wren's five feet, Honor's short horns barely stuck out above his thick, curly, springy hair. He had his mother's red eyes, but his skin was somewhere between red and purple. He had a face that smiled easily, and sure enough, as soon as his eyes found Wren, his whole body seemed to light up. Wren! 
he greeted with real enthusiasm. You cut your hair. Are you going to pretend to be a stable boy or something? Wren scoffed. Don't be rude, she said, and got up to try to find something that she could see her reflection in. Mom, I was wondering if I could go to Amaron's house in an hour or so. He said he wanted to show me. It's too close to dark, Rita interrupted. I don't like you out after dark. There's all sorts on the streets right now. I can walk him there, Wren said, giving up on her quest to figure out what she looked like. I need to head out anyway. You're part of the all sorts I'm talking about, little miss, Rita said with mock disapproval. You think I want my children to end up like you, running off to who knows where to go steal property and secrets? I'd never have grandchildren. Ouch, Rin said as she gathered up her back. It's not sundown yet, Honor pressed. Rin can walk me there, and I promise I'll be back before dark. Fine, Rita said on a burst of exasperation, but if I have to come out there and get you, you are not leaving this house for a month. Rita saw them to the door, giving Honor a quick hug and a kiss on the top of his head, and giving Rin an even longer hug. Please, she whispered, please stay safe. Two weeks, tops, Rin whispered back. I'll be back before you know it. As they walked away, Rin said to Honor in a low voice, I have something to give you. What is it? said Honor, matching her tone but unable to disguise his excitement. Not yet, Rin said, keeping her voice even. Wait till we turn this corner. Your mother has the eyes of a hawk. As they turned the corner, Rin reached into a pocket hidden on the inside of her cloak and pulled out a sealed envelope. They didn't break stride as the letter passed between them, just a boy and a family friend, out for a walk before dark. What is it? Honor asked, tucking the letter into the waist of his pants and covering it with his shirt. Instructions, Rin said. There's a chest in my room, the one under your bed, Honor interrupted. I knew it, Rin said louder than she meant to. I knew you were poking around in my things, just that once. The boy said with a pleading note in his voice. I stopped after you caught me that time, and I couldn't figure out how to open the chest. Lucky you. Only I know how to open that chest. You're lucky you didn't lose a finger. Oh, he said, looking at the ground and getting a little pale. After a few seconds of silence, he asked, Is that what the letter says? Does it tell me how to open the chest? Wren nodded. There are things in the chest, useful things, but I can't take them with me. I wanted to pack light. If I'm not back in three months, you can open the chest. Follow the instructions I gave you exactly, or I'll lose a finger. Honor finished for her. Or worse. Why are you telling me this? He asked. I want these things going to a good home. I think you'll be able to use them. And there's a fair amount of coin in there as well. That, she said in her most serious and commanding voice, all goes to your mother. No, that's not what I meant he said. He stopped then and looked at her in the face for the first time. You're coming back, right? He looked so young, so worried and sincere. Had she ever looked like that? Wren wondered. Of course I'm coming back, she said with a smile and a shrug. This is just what you do when you leave on a job. Make sure everything's taken care of, just in case. She meant it to sound casual and confident. Judging by the look on Honor's face, she didn't quite pull it off. Or maybe he was just getting too perceptive. He was getting older, after all. Hey, she said, putting a hand on his shoulder. I'm going to be fine. I'll be back before you've noticed I've gone. And if you leave everything in my room exactly the way I left it, I'll show you how to use a few of those things in the chest. Yeah, he said with a smile. All right. 
Yeah, all right. His shoulders seemed to relax, and they began walking again. Where are you off to first? he asked. Have to go find a horse. Maybe I really will pretend to be a stable boy. Then I have to see if I could con my way into a party of travelers. Why? he asked. Can't you just go on your own? She shrugged. I could, but there's safety in numbers. Plus, why pack food when I can just eat someone else's? He laughed at that. How do you do it? he asked. Get people to trust you, I mean. He shoved his hands into his pockets, but not before Wren caught him staring at them out of the corner of her eye. No one trusted tieflings. When he was younger, Wren guessed he hadn't noticed this as much. He lived in a small, protected world that was barely larger than the neighborhood where he lived with his family and friends. Everyone looked like him, infernal and calm and mixed freely in the streets, and the only person he knew who didn't have a tail was the mysterious pale woman who lived in the rooms above his house. But now he was older. He saw the way other people looked at him in different parts of the city. He felt the weight of their expectations. Be dangerous. Be cruel. Be evil. But his mother had expectations as well, and he had a name, Honor, to live up to. Rin imagined that he would have some very hard choices to make very soon, and she hoped that she would be around to see the man that he would become. It's easier when you're small, she said. People don't think you're much of a threat then. I'll probably go in with a little too much bright energy and talk a lot. The key is to get people to look at you and think, why not? And then be just annoying enough to where they don't ask you too many questions, because they're worried if you start talking, you won't shut up. He laughed as they drew to a stop in front of another smaller house. They both leaned in to give each other a quick hug, but Rin held on a fraction of a second longer than she normally would. Back before you know it, she whispered. And then she let go and watched him disappear inside with a wave and a smile. She was being stupid, she told herself. She'd see him again. She'd be back in two to three weeks, and she'd have to change the combination on her chest to keep him from messing with her things. Rita would make her dinner and fuss over her, and Honor would be begging her for details about the land outside the city. She would come back because there was no reason not to come back. There wasn't fate. There wasn't destiny. There was no reason for this to be any more dangerous than anything else she had faced. There were things she could see and feel and control. That's what she should be worrying about right now, not little hunches or strange voices in the back of her head. She'd be fine. She was always fine, Rin said to herself. Then she turned and walked into the storm. I think a lot of times in fiction, uh, people will want to write a woman character and make her strong, but for some reason, she comes off as a jerk or you know selfish or something like that. And you know, women can be all those things, but I didn't want Ren to be all those things. I, I wanted her to not be unlikable, but you know, relatable. Uh, but I also knew that I was in dangerous territory when writing Ren because she's getting over this huge trauma, um, and she's actually not getting over it very well. She's still carrying it around with her. So I thought the easiest way to make her likable is to give her people that she still cares about, and not just you know give her people that still that she still cares about, but give her a community that cares about her as well. And I came up with Rita and her family and the whole tiefling neighborhood. And um, 
I started writing that neighborhood and those people and those characters and uh, I fell in love with them and honestly many times I was more interested in you know Rita and Honor and that family um, I was more interested in them than I was in Ren uh, and I'm so glad that I got to start the story off with those people um, and you know I just fell in love with them.